Today's scripture reading comes from Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to its own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you drop a penny from off the Empire State Building, it will build up enough speed to kill somebody at the bottom. If you touch a bird's nest, the mama bird will abandon her chicks because she will smell your human odor. If you touch a frog, it will give you warts. Humans only use 10% of our brains. If you're like me, these are some supposed facts that you were taught as, taught as a kid that you've believed all your life. But did you know that all of these things are completely untrue? How these false beliefs became so widely spread, I do not know, but none of these things are true. When we're taught things as young people, they can have a very influential power to get stuck in our memories and to implant themselves there. And today we start a new sermon series on a book of the Bible that I think has had a similar effect on many of us in the church. And here's the statement that I think is rooted in many of our minds. The book of Jonah is about a prophet and a whale. Does this sound familiar to you? For those of us who have been Christians all of our lives, to even those of us who are new to faith, I think we're all in the same boat here. When we think Jonah, we think big fish. But just as it's completely untrue that humans only use 10% of our brains, it is a complete misunderstanding to think of this book of the Bible as one about a man who gets swallowed by a fish. The book of Jonah is about the heart and mission of God that extends his incredible grace to all people. The main storyline 
the foundational truth, the backbone and the connective tissue of this story beginning to end is that God is gracious. I'd like to say that one more time. Jonah is not about a fish. Jonah is about our gracious God. The next four weeks, we're going to preach on this book and the pastors are praying that the Holy Spirit will, through the book of Jonah, reveal more of the depths of the grace of God and how we are called to both receive it and be messengers of it. So today, let's look closely at chapter 1. So our brother Matt read for us chapter 1, and in it we learn that a Jewish prophet named Jonah is called by God to be sent to Nineveh. But instead of going, he disobediently runs away. Verse 3 says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So what exactly is happening here? I think there's so much misunderstanding about this point of the story as well. What takes the gold medal of misreading Jonah is that it's about a whale. But what takes a close silver medal is that here's a story of a man who doesn't want to be in ministry. See, we need to understand what Jonah is really doing. Jonah isn't running away because he hates being a worship leader and doesn't want to learn how to play guitar. Or he doesn't want to go to seminary and learn Greek. Or he wishes God gave him a different occupation. His reasons are much darker than that. He's running away because God calls him to Nineveh. And Jonah hates Nineveh. Jonah hates Ninevites. Jonah is running away because God is calling him on a missionary journey to a people group that he despises. What we have here, friends, is a biblical prophet called by God, who is an ardent nationalist with twisted patriotism. He's a bigot and a hate-filled, rage-filled racist. So the question is, why does Jonah hate the Ninevites so much? Nineveh was a major city of the Assyrian Empire, which many scholars say was the cruelest empire in ancient history. Read along with me a short excerpt on Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire. Assyrian kings often recorded the results of their military victories, gloating of whole plains littered with corpses and of cities burned completely to the ground. The emperor, Shalmaneser III, is well known for depicting torture, dismembering, and decapitations of enemies in grisly detail on large stone relief panels. Assyrian history is as gory and blood-curdling a history as we know. After capturing enemies, the Assyrians would typically cut off their legs and one arm, leaving the other arm and hand so they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as he was dying. They forced friends and family members to parade with the decapitated heads of their loved ones elevated on poles. They pulled out prisoners' tongues and stretched their bodies with ropes so they could be flayed alive and their skins displayed on city walls. They burned adolescents alive. Those who survived the destructions of their cities were fated to endure cruel and violent forms of slavery. The Syrians have been called a terrorist state. That excerpt I just read came from historical sources. 
Now let's look at what the Bible says about Nineveh. For that we turn to the book of Nahum for a prophecy on Nineveh. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears. Many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. The Assyrians were a terrorist empire that committed horrific acts, and Jonah and Israel felt the pain of their rule. They oppressed Israel with heavy tribute. They attacked and destroyed part of the kingdom, and they were a constant threat. Israel lived in fear of Assyria. This is why Jonah hates the Ninevites. They've ruined his life. They've harmed his nation. They've been an oppressor of his own people. So I imagine all of us can have empathy for why Jonah is so filled with rage and hatred. And yet, this is exactly the people who God is sending Jonah to preach repentance to. But as we know, Jonah does not go initially. He runs away. Verse 3 says he headed for Tarshish. Take a look at this map. We know that Nineveh was located in what right now is northern Iraq. Um, there is disagreement on where Tarshish, Tarshish is, but here is what we do know. Tarshish was the opposite direction, and Tarshish was very far away. Some pinpoint it to an actual geographical location in the Mediterranean, possibly in Spain, as you can see on this map. But other scholars disagree, saying the word Tarshish wasn't an actual physical location. Rather, it represents the farthest known geographical point. Either way, we get it. Jonah wants to run as far away as he can possibly go, away from the people of God, away from Nineveh, somewhere that God will not be able to get a hold on him and send him to the people he hates the most. He's showing us that he would rather leave all he knows behind and would rather die than bring a message of grace from God to the people he hates the most. He hates the thought of God being gracious to them. In chapter 4, he says in a tirade to God that the reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh is because he knew that God was gracious and he wanted God to punish them. One of the professors at Gordon-Conwell, Doug Stewart, says this, So deep was his hatred for a nation whom God loved and his resentment that God would do something good for people who had done so much that was bad. He wanted no part of something so horrible as mercy shown to a brutal, oppressing enemy nation. What God wants, Jonah cannot stand to be a part of. Brothers and sisters, I said at the beginning of this message what the book of Jonah is about. The book of Jonah is about the heart and mission of God that extends his incredible grace to all people. This is our God. He looks upon one of the most atrocious empires in human history with compassion. He relents from destroying them only because he first decides to send a prophet there to call them to repentance. God is gracious to Nineveh. 
God is also gracious to Jonah. He shows grace all along to the world's worst missionary. Jonah is a terrible prophet. He is not a good leader. He's a horrible example of humility and of Christian values. But God is gracious to him too. Jonah should have died as he deserved on that boat. But instead of letting him die, God sends a fish to swallow him and keeps him alive. God does not punish Jonah for his sin. He saves him instead. In response to Jonah chapter 1, I want to frame my major point and application in a prayer. A very short and simple prayer. Dear God, I am like Jonah. Make me like Jesus. Firstly, dear God, I'm like Jonah. If you're like me, you find yourself feeling like a Jonah. Hate-filled. Angry towards others. This isn't just reserved to the current times but it's especially been relevant the past few months, hasn't it? I've been feeling God confronting my heart during these months because I feel like my judgment and hatred towards others has been eating away at my soul. I can't get certain images out of my mind that stir up hatred within me. I see drunken partiers filling up beaches and in young people licking doorknobs at the height of a pandemic that is taking the lives of family members in overrunning hospitals. I see the headshots of a father and son. I see a woman with a dog in a park. I see a police officer on his knees with a man under him. I see our president standing in front of a church with a Bible, using the very word of God as a prop after he ordered a violent attack on peaceful protesters. And if I were to think of God calling me to preach grace to these people, I don't know what I would do. It's with these thoughts that I start to understand why Jonah ran away. Maybe I would run away too. Maybe I'd call Elon Musk, be like, hey, bro, send me to space. But brothers and sisters, this is not what the Lord wants of us. This is not how we witness as Christians to a hurting world. Let us ask God to soften our hearts, to surgically remove the rage and hatred and replace it with something else. The second part of our prayer. Dear God, I'm like Jonah. Make me like Jesus. Many of us today are angry because of all the wrong and injustice right now. And I'd like to remind us of what happened at Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus' trial was completely unjust. You had a man who committed no crime and did no wrong, arrested and brought to trial. And you didn't need a camera to show footage to the public. This isn't a situation in which if only others had seen it. What had happened, it wouldn't have gone differently because everyone was there. Citizens in the community were there. The leaders of the community were there. Law enforcement was there. Religious leaders were there. Political leaders were there. Actually, not everyone was there. You know who wasn't there? 
his best friends, they left, but everyone else. At the cross, we see how great the love and grace of our God truly is. Because Jesus, upon the cross, chooses to be the bearer of injustice so that his accusers and his murderers would be subject to the grace and love of the Father. He prays for them. He forgives them. He dies for them. At the cross, we see the anger, the wrath, and the justice of God poured out on the perfect Son. God enacts His justice. Jesus lives out His grace. And repentant sinners are crowned in glory. We see in the gospel a combination of the grace and the justice of God. God gets angry. God hates sin in the brokenness of this world. And He exacts His punishment for it. But His grace also leads Him to simultaneously be compassionate. Therefore, He takes the punishment not on the sinners, but on the sinless Jesus. We have a choice today. We all are coming to a crossroads of whether our anger will lead us to sinfulness or our anger will lead us to godliness. Dear God, I am like Jonah. Make me like Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we must, we must remember the gospel. It is everything to us. It is everything this world needs. Let us be soft-hearted. Let us be humble. Let us let go of our hate. You and I, we are called to be upholders, champions, messengers, sharers, and protectors of the good news of Jesus Christ. God's grace is for you and for me. But it's also for the criminal, the thief, the murderer, the rapist, the drug dealer, the human trafficker, the dirty cop, the pimp, the looter, and the racist. So great is the grace of our God. Let us in this difficult time display that grace to our hurting country today for the glory of God and the good of mankind. And so we pray together, Dear God, we are like Jonah. Make us like Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. The communion table is a reminder to all of us about the harmony of God's justice and grace. The broken body and the blood shed means both things. It shows us that God will not leave sin and injustice unpunished. And it shows us the length that God will go to be gracious to those who deserve that very punishment. The communion table is not just empty symbols serving as a function to remind you of a past event. The communion table is real, present fellowship with God. So I'd like to remind you that your invitation to partake is your invitation to be in the actual and real presence of Jesus. So I ask you to approach this communion service humbly, reverently, and prayerfully. By the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to partake in this holy meal. These elements that we partake are from Jesus, symbols of His grace given to you. Now hear the words of consecration from Matthew 26, 26 through 28. Now, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, 
and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. You can go ahead now and rip off a piece of bread and dip it in your juice, but uh, please do not eat it yet. I will lead us through a short prayer and we will take together as a unified church. Let us corporately pray together. I ask that you read aloud with me and the words will be on your screen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your table and we humble ourselves before your holy presence. Jesus, we thank you for your grace for sinners like us. We thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Forgive us for the ways our hearts have been filled with hate and judgment towards others in the way that Jonah felt towards the Ninevites. We pray now for your grace to pour out on those whom you love that we have hated. We ask that you make us like Jesus. Fill us with grace, compassion, love, and justice for your glory and our good. So as bread and wine are needed to feed the body, would your gospel be the only thing needed to feed our minds and souls? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together now. Let's now join our hearts and voices in singing as we praise our God through song in response to his goodness to us. <laughs> 